0: All right, on this episode, it was a little bit of a smaller group. It was just me and Jamie, but we had a great conversation with Tom Dunlap. Uh, he had a awesome career, really affected our industry, and we got into all of that a little bit. So without further ado, we're going to take care of some business and then dive right into it. Hopefully you guys enjoy.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional arboriculture advice and should never be relied upon to perform or direct arboricultural work. The Tree Thinking Podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, or suitability of any information on this podcast and will not be liable for any damages arising from the use of any information in the practice of arboriculture or tree work. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The podcast and its host are not to be held responsible for misuse, cited, and or unscited Copies of the content within this podcast by others. The Tree Thinking Podcast may not be reproduced or distributed without the express written consent of the Tree Thinking Podcast.
0: Tom worked his first tree job at 12. While in college, he went on to start a 45 year career in the tree industry. In that time, he did everything from drag brush on the ground to climb in the canopy. His impact on the industry went next level, teaching arborist classes as a recreational and a professional tree climbing instructor. He helped introduce SRT to our industry and contributed to all of our safety, working on the ANSI Z133 committee. When the world went digital, he was on the ISA discussion forum. He got involved in one of the earliest arborist online communities, as the co-founder of treebuzz.com. On this episode of Tree Thinking, we talk to an educator, an innovator, and a hard-working arborist who left the industry better than he found it. This week, we talk to Tom Dunlap. Alright, so uh, this week... We, uh, we're uh we doing something that we don't usually do. We're going to have a guest on to come on and just kind of talk about the career that he had and uh, all the accomplishments we did. So, uh, yeah, welcome, Tom. Hey, Tom. Hey,
2: thanks. Nice to be on.
0: Yeah, it's, it's great to have you on. We uh we kind of uh, exchanged some information, and I got a little bit of information to make that intro. And as I was making it, I was like, man, this guy has done a lot for our industry. Yeah, really,
2: really influential. Well, in the the industry, when I when I think of the arc of my career and and what I did, you know, where where things were at when I was 12 and when they where they were at when I retired, it's a huge arc. You know, we went through a huge change through not just the, the you know modern agriculture, but equipment and and climbing and you know and digital now you know, using digital. Uh, communication. It is just stunning.
3: Oh yeah, I can imagine. Just in the short time I've been in the industry, there's been a ton of uh, innovation, like on the climbing side of things. You know, with yeah. SRS and the rope walking things. I'm only you know five and a half years in or so, and I've seen a huge difference. So I, I <laughs> can
0: imagine. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, you started your, your you did your first tree job at twelve. How did you get roped into doing a tree job at twelve?
2: The guy that lived next door to my folks when I was growing up uh, was a lineman for the uh, phone company. And he always had a, a side job. He had some part-time job. He had a little tree service. And his son and I were the same age and next door neighbors. So we were the best friends or worst enemies, depending on which way the wind was blowing. <laughs> and so, so I don't know the, all the setup, but he needed some help on a Saturday in the summer. Uh, dragging brush and, and stacking brush. So he asked my folks if, if I'd be interested in working, and of course I was. I mean, you're 12 years old in the summertime. You always want to have some, some money in your pocket. So uh, Marv would go up the tree, climb up the tree to take this cottonwood down, and he'd cut the stuff, just bomb the branches out. And then Steve and I would drag the, the branches out to the street and use a, um, a bow saw and brush the stuff up and stack it on his little uh i don't know it was probably a seven by ten single axle trailer we'd stack it up in in piles so that was the beginning so oh wow sort of, sort of that was the first time i ever made money doing doing tree work i transplanted trees with my dad uh, we'd go out in the woods and dig trees out of the woods and plant them in the yard so that goes back to when i was even younger
0: did did your dad do
2: tree work no, no. He was a bookkeeper and then worked for the post office, but very much an outdoors guy, yeah. you know, uh, hunting and a uh, little bit of fishing and, uh, we were always camping and, and that stuff. So he was an outdoors guy. And I, I, he died about 10 years ago and I never, something I missed asking him is like, where did you learn all that stuff?
3: Oh yeah. Is this in Minnesota? Like you grew up there your whole life?
2: Yeah, I've spent all but, ten, all but 10 years of my life living in Minneapolis.
3: Okay. I'm from North Dakota, so I wasn't too far from you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear the accent a little bit.
2: Yeah, I, I do too once in a while. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when, when you were 12, was that a regular thing you did, or was that just one or two jobs here and there?
2: It was just really here and there. Yeah. And it, it didn't really work into – a regular gig until more college year. I mean i would work I'd work with Marv every once in a while, uh, through high school and stuff. I went to the University of Minnesota for just traditional forestry for five quarters and then uh, they started getting into tree work and doing landscaping and start working for Marv a little more regularly. I, I wouldn't say full time at all, but it'd be just regularly then.
3: So what was your first uh, like regular tree job? Like when when did it become your career? I guess
2: I worked for Marv sometime well, it would have been uh, in that time college years. He and he had a helper and he and I, the helper and I would go out and do some of the small jobs for him while, while he was off working for the phone company. Okay. So uh, I think I was working three, four days a week for him in the summer.
3: Is that when you started climbing? Like when, when was the first time you climbed a tree?
2: Well, Marv was a rough and tough uh, guy. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he was uh, a hack as a tree guy in a way. <laughs> uh, um, so I had to unlearn a bunch of stuff that he taught me. But uh-huh. I learned stuff, I learned stuff from him, like stacking brush on that trailer on the first day.
4: Yeah,
3: he yeah. taught
2: me how to stack brush.
4: Huh? Human
3: there's chipper. There's
2: never been a better. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> for for on the trailer. Oh, right, right. Yeah, but the, there's nobody has ever shown a better way of stacking brush.
0: Oh, even with the guys that, you know, especially back in the day, you know, that the hacks there, they still had, you know, they were running a business, they were doing something. And there's a lot to learn. One of my favorite quotes is uh, old Bruce Lee quote, and he said, use what works, discard what doesn't and add what is uniquely your own, Mm. you know, and, and there's a lot you can take from just somebody that works hard, you know, just learning, especially when you're first starting, just learning that work ethic.
2: Yeah, and, and Marv Marv taught me some good stuff. Is just you know not wasting time. Just mm-hmm. really good foundational stuff. If you're walking from the backyard to the front yard, you never go empty-handed. You're always yeah. bringing something. Yeah. You know those sort of principles that we we still you know instill and, and try to you know get new hires to to pick up.
0: How much do you think you took from Marv? and kept teaching throughout your career, you know, how much of that information do you think you were teaching for 45 years?
2: Oh, there's, I found myself teaching stuff and hearing Marv come out of my mouth with <laughs> different things. And he's a, a mentor of mine, both how, how to do stuff and how not to do stuff. Yeah. But he didn't know any different. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and that was what we were doing in the industry, so. Um it wasn 't his fault that that he was topping trees. he thought that that 's what that 's what we did,
4: yeah,
0: yeah, no, we were talking to Dan a few episodes ago, and he was talking about how he was uh he was spurring trees when he first started, you know, and he 's one of the best yeah. climbers i 've seen climb, but you know that I mean you just start where you start and you just do your best to get better from there,
3: yeah, and he talked about spurring just the tiniest trees, and it didn't really <laughs> make sense, you know. They're the most cumbersome thing, but that's just what you did, you know. That's how yep. how you did it, kind of like topping trees, you know, a while back.
2: Well, yeah. uh, a, a buddy of mine, uh, some people know Tony Sackett, had the, the best definition of a hack. It's a person who does the wrong thing after they know it's wrong. yeah. I like that's, that. Yeah, that's good. That, that's a hack. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if you don't know it's wrong, uh-huh. well, you get, you get a little forgiveness.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Plead ignorance.
2: You know? Yeah. <laughs> you don't know. But once you know something's wrong, you should stop doing it or you're a hack. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marv, Marv working up in this tree this one day and I, I kind of have this vague memory of it looking on the ground. And I, you know, i have Climb trees when I was a kid. and We built tree houses and stuff, but not, of course, like he did. You know, putting spikes on and a saddle and hanging from a rope. But he's up in this tree, and I looked up there and I thought, you know what? I want to do that. I want to be up there too. Uh Yeah. Not just not to get out of doing groundwork, but I wanted that. I wanted to be there. And so I knew, because of the kind of guy he was, that. If I would have blurted to him that day, you know, when we were done and stacked up and cleaned up and on the way home I was, if I would have said, Hey, I want to start to climb, oh, I would have gotten the biggest dismissal the you know <laughs> you you know, you punk. Yeah. No, you know you know. Yeah. We 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 all know that guy that, that right. thinks that you know, it's like, no, you know you're not worthy. So so I shut up and and I started watching him. I started really paying attention. I started second guessing. He'd we'd stop and go, okay, well, we have got to take off that one limb, and then in my head I'd go, oh, we're gonna need these saws, we're gonna need this equipment, and I would have it before he called for it.
3: Oh man, next level ground guy,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I started, you know, and we were working just part time, few days, two evenings a week in the summer, and maybe a Saturday. And after doing this for, I don't know, sometimes two, three weeks or driving back at the end of the day in the pickup he said uh you want to start climbing
0: and mm-hmm. i didn't
2: i didn't cackle or anything because that would have been another shutdown uh-huh. i said yeah. uh i said <laughs> yeah he says uh i noticed you've been really uh you've been really on you've been you know been right there for all the stuff And i said oh yeah yeah i kind of played dumb <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, but that worked After that got Got me noticed, and he started teaching me. And I can remember the first tree I took down. And
3: yeah, I think that's still how it is. I mean, you can tell a new hire when they got that like spark in their eye, you know. And yeah, then you can be like, okay, the bid's good. We got plenty of time. Are you interested in climbing? And then, you know, maybe they they play dumb like you did. Yeah. Or maybe they're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, how long yeah. did it take from when you started working with him, or you know, from when you were working with him regularly? To when he, you know, offered to let you climb.
2: Well, that was it'd been in the summer when I first started climbing, and it probably wasn't until the next summer because we're just working. He's working full time at the phone company, right? Yeah. And so we're doing work in the evening until dusk in the summer, and then in the winter we just work on a Saturday here and there. You know, it was and I was going to school and stuff, so so it was a, a calendar year before. You know, I was, he'd, he'd give me jobs and I'd do them on my own. So it was, yeah, it was a calendar year.
0: You know, that's, that's what I've always told people is uh, when they're first starting out and they start wanting to climb, I always say, work the ground for a year. It's going to take that long. I mean, you can climb, you know, I have no doubt that you could learn the knot and you can move around the tree, but just fully understanding the workflow. And like you're saying, understanding what, what tool needs to come next. You learn a lot about climbing from working the ground and everybody's different. You know, a lot of people are ready to go before that year, but I always say that's a good kind of benchmark.
2: Yeah. And, and to learn incrementally, you know, uh, uh, somebody that, and again, what I did was, I, mean, I didn't, I learned how to teach. I didn't, I'm not a teacher. I, you know, I taken an odd class here and there about teaching and stuff, but I don't have a background, you know, classroom background as a teacher, but, you know, picking up stuff that, you know, teaching somebody like Steve and I, dragging brush when we were twelve, and we had a bow saw. Yeah. <laughs> and Marv told us, you know, when we're cutting the brush off, the the log pieces don't leave stubs,
4: uh-huh.
2: even for even for stacking brush. You know, they get in the way, they snag and stuff like that. So, you know, he taught us how to handle a saw and how to know, how to make. We weren't making collar cuts, obviously, but uh-huh. not to leave a stub on a piece of firewood you know, and, and learn how to use a handsaw and stuff like that. And then obviously then it comes to, you know, using a chainsaw for brushing and, and then a chainsaw on the tree.
0: One of the things that I love about our industry is it, it gives a way for people to get into the industry that might not be the college student that got a degree and went on you know, that Marv took his time to teach you and his son a skill that you turned into a career for 45 years, you know, that kind of stuff is invaluable. And that's one of those things that, you know, the world needs is that whole mentorship and uh, people working with each other that way. That That's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah,
2: I'm, I'm really grateful to him for that.
0: Where'd your
3: career go after that?
2: I had, I, I went to a technical college for two years for landscape design and construction. Okay. And because uh, I, I was doing some landscaping and stuff, so then I did that. And uh, it was still working with Marv a little bit here and there, doing some tree work and doing some landscape jobs. And then uh, one winter, I was working for a, a tree service, and uh, the guy it, 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 he he didn't know anything about trees, but he somehow got this idea that he could make a bunch of money doing tree work
4: uh-huh.
2: and so he mortgaged his house bought equipment in september with no work ahead of him oh yeah and uh <laughs> not a good businessman <laughs> and, you know it's like uh that's not the time to start being an arborist or do a tree work that's a minnesota so, september <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> exactly yeah so uh You know, I worked for him and, you know, I got paid. He never stiffed me on a check or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I realized that with the little I knew about tree work and the business, that if he could make money, I could make money. And so uh, a buddy of mine and I started up the business. I was in uh, February of 79. Okay. That's when I started uh, the company. I started Canopy. It was Canopy Tree Service at the time in uh, February of 79.
3: That's interesting. The company I started with was also named Canopy. (laughs) It's like a common name in the tree industry, but yeah, that's funny.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Great name. (laughs) So what'd you you start
3: out with? Just a truck and a trailer?
2: Yeah, I had a uh, three quarter ton pickup with a shell on it for, you know, for putting the gear and stuff in the back. And then I had a, a, a pickup body trailer that I bought for,
4: Oh yeah.
3: I
2: don't okay. know, hundred bucks, you know, so, and then just, we'd, uh, we gradually, you know, we'd work and save, take a couple of bucks for living and save up some money and, you know, gradually bought some machinery, a little, little chassis and put a dump box on it and bought a chipper and so we gradually built up.
0: So you got the, uh, landscape architect degree from the technical school, right? Did you get a degree from the university of Minnesota as well?
2: No, I, I just, I went there for five quarters. You know, I was just doing, doing the basic classes. I didn't really have any forestry. I had, well, a few, a few little forestry classes, but nothing, uh, I hadn't gotten into the core curriculum really. Yeah,
0: no, I, I did, you know, when I got out of high school, I knew I was going to be an arborist. It, you know, as you know, it's my family business is, is tree work. And so I, I went to school for a little bit because that's, kind of what you're supposed to do when you get out of high school, but I never took it serious because I knew knew where my future held. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How much much do you think you used your degrees in your career?
2: Looking back, there was even a little bit of time at the University of Minnesota. uh, There were things that I, I used. I took a surveying class, and I've used that. You know, a few other different things. I had an economics class that has been absolutely invaluable a lot of classes at the technical college, you know, especially when I was doing landscaping, but even without doing landscaping, learning plant identification and, you know, how plants grow and how to plant stuff and, and things like that. Uh, I used a lot of that information there. Yeah.
0: I, I wish I had taken it more serious, you know, kind of looking back the hindsight view. I know a couple people that went to UMass and got their degree in arboriculture there. And, uh, you know, it's obviously set them on a, on a, a good road, just really smart individuals that know so much about trees.
3: How large? Like, what was the size of your company when, uh, when you, when you got out of
2: it? For most of my career, it was just one crew. Okay. Uh, two or three helpers. I had a couple summers where um, I'd have two crews, but the, the summers that I did that, the, the second crew were uh, buddies of mine that were good workers. They 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 were looking for work, and so you just put work in front of them, and they could figure it out. I didn't have to. You know, I didn't have. All I had to do is teach them, you know, how to run chainsaws, you know, a little bit about the equipment, the nuts and bolts stuff as uh-huh. far as getting a job done. I just leave them on the job, and I knew it'd be handled just fine. Okay, uh, so that made it easy because I didn't have to worry about you know are they goofing off, <laughs> are
4: they
2: wrecking things. You know, you take all that stuff as like this is the job.
4: Do this. Yeah.
2: So, so it wasn't too hard running two crews, but, uh, I realized that one, two crews would eat up so much work. I would have to be out selling. Oh yeah. And, you know, and, and then if things would slow down, I kind of had this, I always felt my obligation to my crew to keep them working. So if work would slow down, I'd have to drop my prices a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know, to keep that, keep those numbers going. And, and then I wasn't making any money, but I was making payroll and all that stuff. And I just realized, you know, I, I want a one crew company. Yeah. And so so that, that worked for me.
3: Okay. So that's kind of how you kept it. Just one crew running.
2: Yep. Yeah.
0: That's a hard thing for people. I've seen, I've seen tree guys struggle with it about knowing when to grow their business because it's so tempting, you know, it's like, oh, if I just hire that one more person, we'll be able to get that much more work done. But you know, it it makes your company so much more vulnerable for the, you know, in the lean times and the the responsibilities really start going tenfold. Like you say, when you have multiple crews and you're, you're juggling more clients, and it it's always been one of those interesting things for me. At what point do you pull the trigger and grow, and at what point you just say, hey, man, I'm comfortable right here. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and, and especially in Minneapolis. I mean, we're right now, this, we're having a, a, a more normal winter. We've got a couple of weeks of the high temperatures that are uh, uh, negative single digits. Right, yeah. oh. <laughs> That's our high temperatures.
3: Yeah, and, I remember that stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, you can work. No. But it, it's just, you know, dealing with machinery and mm-hmm. production is low. And all that sort of stuff. And that's, you deal with it every year. And it's just rough. It's hard to, you know, to keep going when you have the weather like that.
3: Yeah. What'd you do in the off season?
2: Well, we still keep plugging away. But, okay. You know, yeah. you know work would, would come in to a certain extent, but hardly, and it was barely for, for my crew, it was um, like almost the tipping point between. Unemployment or work, uh-huh. you know, and, and we would work enough that they made just a little bit more working than being on unemployment.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I, my dad w- worked in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, I think I was probably eight years old at the time, and I remember going and visiting him in the winter and just being like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> you know, as a kid from Eugene, Oregon, where winters were rainy, they were wet, it was definitely wintertime, but just seeing the snow banks on the side of the road, it was, you know, you are going to a whole different land. <laughs> yep. I loved yep. It. I loved being able to play hockey like it was a pickup game of basketball, though I, oh, yeah. as a kid that played hockey here, it was like, there's hockey going on on the corner here, you know?
2: (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So winters were, you know, a real challenge uh, to have to deal with that, that, you know, definitely that bell curve of of work, you know, like a farmer, anybody that's doing seasonal stuff. So, Um, but we had work, I had work coming in, but just not very regular. It seems
0: like at some point in your career, you kind of took a turn. You went from running, well, you're probably running a business the whole time, but you kind of took that next level to working on with Anzi and being being a bigger part of the industry. Uh, what what kind of brought along that change and what how did that all go down? Because it It's amazing all the different ways that you influenced the industry, and that's one of the things that kind of stood out to me that I'd love to hear about.
2: Well, I... In 1986, I went to the first national trade show. Uh, it was called uh, uh, Arbor Expo. Well, Arbor Age magazine had it, and it was a predecessor to, to now what uh, TTIA's Expo is. It was that same sort of format. And uh, so I went to that, and I was completely blown away mm-hmm. with the introduction to what you know the, the, the rest of the world of arbor was like and you know, the trade show and the speakers. And, you know, I got to, I got to meet Don Blair and Bob Weber and, uh, you know, other different people that have been lifelong buddies and seeing like, whoa, that's what it's about. And, and so I learned the value of going to the workshops, and, you know, getting a little more involved in the profession. And I was at some session, I don't remember what it was, but, Um, And I'd heard Dr. Shy go speak a few times, you know, as a keynote. And I'm sitting there, and again, it was like I wanted to climb, you know, start climbing with Mars. I'm sitting there going, I want to do that. (laughs) You know, I want to, I want to know one, and people say, yeah, you just want to be up there on the podium and and have people, you know, like this God. And I go, no, 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 that's not it. I wanted to know enough that I had created a value and, and I could teach it yeah. that's what I wanted to, to do and so I started really buckling down and learning and reading books and going to sessions and 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 really putting a lot of time into learning and then any opportunity I could get you know to do a, a free class a tree class of pruning shrubs or trees at a garden club or you know the horse society or anything like that i'd start doing it for free and and then you know gradually work my game up to uh to start charging a few bucks and so, so again incremental just like i did with climbing mm-hmm. Started you know crossing paths with people because of that and opportunities arose because of that
0: speaking of crossing paths with people what was it like to see Shago speak you know he's he's been such a founder and uh, a lot of really good knowledge and uh, me and Jamie actually are preparing a presentation a PowerPoint and a lot of the information is from him. You know what was he like as a presenter?
2: Amazing, amazing. It, it, it was uh, the first time you ever hear somebody that you know is really smart, and he was uh-huh. say, "I don't know." About <laughs> it for you. I mean it's it puts you back in your chair. Uh-huh.
4: The,
2: you know, it's one thing to sit around the conversation, you know, over at the trade show floor with a bunch of people in circles and go, you know what, I don't know anything about that. But to hear somebody like him say, I don't know, but I'll I'll find out and get back to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, just amazing. Amazing. And and having taken you know, I took his five day class Uh, uh, here he came to the cities and did a class here Uh, that was the final shift between uh, this character I call I either call him Hack Tom or Evil Tom (laughs) you know I was like oh, I I can't do that stuff anymore you know now I know I have to do it the right way so very patient yeah just uh, uh, a great educator
0: yeah, it's amazing the influence that he's had on the industry. A legitimate impact on science. I mean, that is that is not something everybody can say.
2: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and to have I've had the opportunity to see him many times over my career.
3: So what was your first big uh, speaking job, and what was that like?
2: The first, well, I guess the most, the big one that I do remember, uh, I was asked to speak at uh, Expo when I was in Milwaukee. That was the first real big one. But, oh, no, wait a, minute. wait a minute. One before that. One before that. That was I was on my own at that one, and it was going to be like you know, one of those 250, 300 people.
4: Uh-huh.
2: Um, but before that, Kim Coder was doing two different sessions, and I got asked to do a, a 20-minute talk between his sessions. And so Everybody was there to see Kim, and I'm kind of a throwaway band in the middle. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then Kim did another did his other talk, so I had a built-in audience there, and it was like, "Whoa!" I had, you know, friends of mine tell me later that, you know, that it did a nice job. That it was the presentation was put together well, and the information actually was stuff that that you know I I put together and did a good job with it. So, so that was the first big one I did.
3: And you, no. you, like you said, you built yourself up incrementally. So it wasn't, was it like this huge shock to you to have a larger crowd like that? Or was it, it, it felt okay for you to be up there?
2: I had learned to get over the stage fright part yeah. of it because, because of starting off, you know, I was doing these free classes and stuff like that. I got I got to try that and, and, you know, and learned how to put together a, a presentation and the presentations got longer and more complex and, audience since I'm speaking to my peers I needed to be ahead of the game not not that I was presenting I was presenting new stuff not like Dr. Shigo would but new for a lot of people I was you know I'd go to the national conferences and then reteach that stuff to people that didn't go there that sort of a thing okay yeah, it's it's
0: funny uh, when I've taught classes, I, I hate sitting up in front of a classroom and talking to a bunch of people. I, it, honestly, it's part of the reason I we started or I decided I wanted to do a podcast because I need to get better at talking to people, and this is <laughs> a way where I'm talking to people. You know, and it's just finding ways to do it. But what I found was it was a, a pruning class where we did half of it. It was a in classroom in, in, uh, class, and then the other half we went out into the field. And when I was up in front of people in the class, I was, you know, really stiff and having a hard time. And then we get outside, I put a hard hat on, I have a pulse on my hand. And next thing you know, I'm just talking to a crew and all that anxiety went away. It just, you know, and it's, it was amazing to realize for me, like, wait a second. It's just like, it's all in my head. Like, just flip that switch. You're just talking to a bunch of tree guys, you know, a bunch (laughs) of tree people and you know, just talk to them, you know, they're all into the same thing you're into. And, you're going to be wrong about stuff and you're going to teach some stuff. And that's just how it goes.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's the, that, that was fun. And, you know, and gradually meeting people and, uh, um, with, uh, meeting Tim Walsh and becoming friends with him and starting doing educator stuff with him. And he, he ended up getting a, uh, a seat on the Z one, three, three, Z one, three, three committee, mm-hmm. uh, and I was the alternate. So I'd start going to the Z meetings as the alternate for the uh, Student Society of Arbor culture. And then uh, things changed and, and, and I ended up getting a seat on the Z as a, um, I can't think of what they call it, what, what my title was, it was like unaligned or I, what I did, I didn't represent any entity. All I was was there as an arborist. I wasn't representing my company. I always told people I'm there to represent the boots in the field. Uh-huh. The people that, that don't have a voice. I'm not representing a, a manufacturer, the insurance company, management. I'm there to you know, make sure that the people that are actually out there having to do what, the you know, follow the rules that we're making so that they have a voice. Because Everybody, you know, we're not enemies with management, but management has a, a, a way of doing stuff. And, you know, the rope experts and the saddle manufacturers, they've got their thing. Well, somebody needs to speak for the workers. Yeah. yeah,
3: there's a disconnect there. You were kind of there to bridge
2: that gap. Right. But and I bring stuff up that, you know, and I, and I, I wasn't the only one, of course, that, mm-hmm. that, that did that. But that's that's all I did.
3: How long did you sit on the, on the, is it the board of ANSI? Uh, How long did you work for (laughs) ANSI? (laughs) However you phrase that.
2: (laughs) Oh, I was on the committee. Committee. Or, I, and I, I should, I should sit and I've tried to figure that out, but Uh probably about, about 20 years, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. When I, and it doesn't seem like it, but but it was probably about 20 years from the uh, Student Society of Agriculture to when I retired. Well, I stepped down because, you know, one, I, it's like, you know, there's, there's time for somebody else to take over. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't, obviously I haven't abandoned and gone, you know, become a hermit or anything like that, <laughs> but it was, it was time for some, you know, we're a working arborist. Uh, and somebody who was working to, uh, to become involved.
0: How long were you in the industry before you got on the board or on the committee?
2: I would say probably 25, maybe 30 years in or so.
0: Interesting. So it was about um, half your career. How, how do you think yeah, that? Somewhere
2: around, somewhere around there. Yeah.
0: How do you think that changed uh, the way you look at safety working in the field, being on that board or on that committee? <laughs>
2: <laughs> the committee. Yeah. It really probably didn't change what I did so much. Um, because I was probably doing what we what became the Z. I was probably doing all of that stuff before it was in the Z. Yeah, um, that was just because it was a normal thing, and you know, it took me a while. I didn't I didn't wear a helmet when I was in the beginning of the career. I was I was more safety glasses, but I didn't always wear a helmet. Uh, I wore a helmet and earmuffs when I was chipping, but not running chainsaw, that sort of stuff. So, but it, you know, the light bulb went off, like, Hey bonehead, get a helmet.
3: <laughs> Did Marv wear a helmet? You know,
2: so, no. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> I was <just> kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it, isn't it no. funny
0: that once you, you know, once you adopt a piece of safety equipment, you know, when you're the guy that doesn't wear a helmet and you start wearing it, how then, if you work a job without a helmet, you're like, No, this is unacceptable. Yeah, you, you know, feel this, you vulnerable. feel naked. You know, it's like, What am I doing? And then you think, I did that for years. Yeah. <laughs> you
3: know? yeah, I do that with my chainsaw pants now.
0: Yeah. You show up for a pruning gig or whatever, you still feel
3: weird in the tree, even with your handsaw and not having my chainsaw pants on just because I wear them every day. You know,
0: I've noticed the same thing. I always wore a hard hat, but I. When I first started climbing, we didn't have, or we—I wasn't wearing one of the petzels with the chin strap. I just had the full brim hard hat, and you know, for whatever reason, that stayed on my head. You know, the only time it came off is, you know, every blue moon it'd fall off for whatever reason. Now I can't, um, you know, if if I don't have the a a chin strap clipped on, it's it just feels so unstable up there. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's normalized, so so I was already doing that stuff. Mm in my company before it was really, you know, in the, in the written in the Z. So it wasn't changing, but some of the, you know, just adding insights when, when we'd be discussing stuff about somebody would come up with ideas of, of uh, that weren't practical, you know, and, and they seem there, you know, there were, there ideas were brought up in the Z that were in, brought up in all sincerity by people that don't climb. They're involved in the industry that, but they don't climb, and we go. That's really not practical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we. You know, the idea is good, but that won't work. You know, don't take offense that we're not we're not punching you or anything like that, or or discounting what you're saying. But the way you want to do that, that's just not practical.
0: Yeah,
2: that, uh, to to mandate something.
0: I remember having a similar discussion around chaps. I was talking to somebody that thought we should wear chaps and trees. And this is before there were chap pants. So it'd be like the clip on chaps. And I remember yeah. being like, no, we don't need to wear chaps and trees. You know, and now technology is caught up and we have chap pants and I'm thankful we do because, you know, it, it adds a layer of safety and it's really not that much more. Uh, but I, I try to, I try to kind of, you know, play devil's advocate in my head, but uh, me and Jamie were talking a while ago about an article where they're talking about having two tie-in points as far as uh, two climbing lines being tied up yep. twice. And my, my first reaction was like, that's crazy. It's going to be such a pain in the butt. But then I did it. And it was like, all of a sudden I started finding these benefits to it. And I, I'm not saying I do it on every job by any means, but I remember being like, all right, well, you know, all right, think this through, don't just have your knee-jerk reaction, actually try it before you start criticizing it, and trying it, I was like, well, now I'm ascending, and if I want to just cut a branch, I just tighten both the knots, I don't have to then lanyard in, and, you know, there's all these benefits that I didn't see coming that I started finding.
2: Yeah, those are both perfect examples of the way things have moved along, you know, for years, you know, people would would go to that you know when when chaps were became mandated for chainsaw use on the ground you know people would say well and people should wear them in the trees and it's like well no one you know and we rely on dr ball's statistics and his research and stuff like that and other experiences like there people aren't getting cut with chainsaws they're not cutting their legs in the trees mm-hmm. so there's not a need for that protection is one and two they're the, the the pants, you know, buckling them, you're gonna be snagging on thicks mm-hmm. stuff you create a danger. But like you say, with the materials and the sewing and the cost, now uh, cut resistant pants are they're comfortable. They're not they're not uncomfortable to wear. Even, you know, at some threshold of ninety degrees 95 degrees, Yeah, you know, you do get to be, you know, 95, 100 degrees, anything is hot.
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: And anything is hot. So now, now you have to, you know, you're, you're going to have somebody wearing chainsaw pants at 100 degrees. Well, you just need to up your, uh, uh, your, your annotation of that. It's like if somebody's climbing with pants, okay, you need to make sure that you're checking them, uh, make sure they're hydrating, uh, you know, you're taking breaks, doing that sort of stuff. But at, at one time it's like, no, they, it's just not practical. Yeah, it's yeah. going to create, it's, create a hazard.
3: Sawpants are like the norm now. It's not like an enforced safety thing, but like everyone I know, it's just, they, they got them. It's kind of a cool thing, at least up here.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah. But, and it's, you know, as, as we any place when you drive down the street to see what kind of, enrollment you have in that with tree crews, you know, whether it's the municipal crews, uh, state highway department,
4: mm-hmm. uh,
2: private crews, the landscapers, and you just, you know, kind of you're driving along, and everybody does it.
4: Mm-hmm. You're
2: looking, you go, are they wearing helmets? Yeah. Do they have chaps on? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you start seeing more and more landscape crews that are decked out, you know, yeah. they're wearing helmets and, and chaps and stuff. So that's good. That's
0: awesome. Yeah.
2: That's good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, you know another really interesting part of your career is how it uh, adapted as as you know there was new technology and whatnot that I have always thought was kind of cool how you got into Tree Buzz and then the the ISA Arborist Discussion Forum before that uh, how did how did that all come about?
2: Well, I had read about the the ISA Forum in uh, Arborist News and uh i i I read about it for a while i didn't have internet at the time even and uh so i got the internet and i started seeing you know poking around and seeing what was going on and and then i thought you know i should sign up and get in and register and be on that and i did and you know the very early i was on probably month after it opened uh that i the isa discussion forum got going and uh the potential for that you know and people just getting on and chatting and you know the camaraderie and uh you know developing friendships and sharing ideas and understanding that you know how my buddy up in Toronto the problems he had isn't any different than I'm listening to somebody in San Diego Mm -hmm. yeah you know it's all the same stuff so that was that was fun to to see that everybody had the same issues and, and I'm making friends online and then meeting those people.
0: For, for me, it was, uh, when the internet came around and the, uh, I, I just got a little bit of like the, the pre-internet, pre-cell phone, uh, arborist world. I I started in uh, 98. And so when I first started, you didn't know any of the other crews in town and you know you you would drive by them and you know you it would you know you kind of wave kind of scowl at each other cuz they were the competition they weren't yeah you know yeah. It, it was a total different uh, energy you know I, I i and then all of a sudden you get on social media and you start realizing these people do the same thing you do you know all the things that you do that make that you think you're so cool because you can do it they're doing the exact same thing and there's tons of other people doing it too. Yeah. And it just, this wall goes down and you're like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? And then you you drive by hanging out the window. Hey, what's up? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) From that point of view, it's been great, but I'll tell you what, uh, the pre cell phone era of being a tree guy was pretty awesome. You know, not nobody could call you and harass you. You just pick (laughs) up your work orders and you go do your jobs. There, there's something pretty nice about that yeah yeah
2: and, and that connection, solving problems, I remember many times when my, my brother started working full-time as an arborist. Here's a campus arborist at Southern Methodist University in Dallas and, and he'd call me from up in the tree. he had a, a, you know some, something like he'd discuss a problem with you know, a rigging thing or, or, or uh, you know should I, where should I make a cut? You know, a directional cut or something like that it would be free. He'd be up in the tree talking, and who knows where I'd be? I'd be out doing tree work, but we'd be talking on the phone, solving problems. So it's pretty cool That's to have awesome. that tool. Yeah, yeah. But now, now, even more with, with uh, phones or, or uh, cameras, you know, and be able to, you know, the FaceTime issue of being able to talk about stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, show them what's going on. Mm-hmm. I've I've right. done uh, wildlife trees where you know I was like all right what do I want to do with this and I just open up Google and Google you know broken treetops and it you know come up with a hundred different pictures of of broken treetops and be like oh, I'll try see if I can't recreate that yeah you know and yeah it, it it's definitely opened up the world in a lot of ways it it's much better that we got the technology but you know there's something nice about uh, not being harassed by the boss when you're out working <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. tree tree buzz, uh,
3: makes that happen. Like that phone call from your brother down in Texas, right? That's kind of like you get off work, maybe you had an issue, then you can go on tree buzz and see someone else has had this issue and you guys can have a chat about it. It's really cool. Or, you know, ask questions, answer questions. Um, it's a really cool yep. thing you started.
2: Yeah. And that's, uh, close to 20 years ago.
0: Okay. Do you you want to tell us the that's... story of how, how it started?
2: Well it was uh, I think it was in december of uh, that, that Mark gave me a call and uh we had, mark and I had known each other you know going to competitions and stuff like that and uh, uh not I wouldn't say friends, but we were good buddies we know each other work I mean everybody knows Mark and stuff like that mm-hmm. you know but um so we chatting and stuff like that, we knew each other, and so he calls me up and says uh I was thinking about starting this discussion forum and he knew that I was active on the ISA forum, not as a moderator or anything like that. That was all handled by ISA, but they did, they they were hands off sort of moderation. So, um, but I was involved in ISA and and he said, uh, he says, would you want to be part of it? And I said, well, yeah. (laughs) I was kind of confused because like, okay, I'm in Minneapolis you're in jersey how do we ever how, how do we do this and he said well let's, we'll figure it out mm-hmm. and so from that december through the winter you know we started having more discussions about he was working with uh somebody with the tech part of it the, the building the website and doing all of that you know the computer side of it the, the behind the screen and uh and we'd have discussions we'd chat once in a while about what did we want this to be? What did we want it to look like? And uh, kind of a uh, mission statement sort of a thing. And it's and it's interesting. And Mark and I talk about this. We have a good laugh about how it. Treebuzz has followed that model that we had from the beginning. What was okay. like
3: the mission statement of Treebuzz? Like
2: share whatever you want, and you know, don't be a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Is there much you know, of that? You,
3: you, I have scrolled through, you know, I've been on there a handful of times, and I, I don't see that too often.
2: No. Yeah, it's no, and, it's a
3: great community.
2: Uh, yeah, and, and especially on the, you know, in the off topic, it's, it's, it's off topic, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they're even there. There's a little bit of moderation going on. Some people, they run away with themselves a little too much. Yeah. Uh, but it's pretty much whatever whatever you go goes in off topic. But yeah. the rest of the stuff is like, you know, don't be jumping on people. Don't be clubbing them to death. There's no need to do that. Yeah, that's you know? what Facebook's and, for.
4: <laughs> well, that's it. That's it. You know, yeah. I mean,
2: I'll, I'll tell somebody if, you know, that isn't what you do in FreeBuds. Yeah. We have an expectation that you can say what you want, but don't be mean. Mm-hmm. Don't be a jerk. You know, we, we, we do have those limits. And, you know, um, I'll do that, you know, with a private message. Mm-hmm. Uh rarely and you know we have we've had to boot a, a few people, not very many in twenty years. Um, but it's been it's been interesting to see how the activity level of tree bugs has changed as social media has gone up and it definitely because it's a different sort of a medium, it isn't growing but it it's not fading away. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And like i mentioned, I'd been on there a handful of times, but I kind of got into this industry with social media being huge. So I'm definitely more on, you know, Instagram and YouTube and stuff like that. Um, so I see what you're saying there, how th- that stuff exploded and a lot of people who are just getting into it. That's kind of the easier thing. They might not know about tree buzz. Um,
0: how much, Right. how much are you into the, uh, into Instagram or kind of the, the social media tree world?
2: I don't do Instagram and I follow a few uh, Facebook tree related pages.
0: I would recommend it you know if you're interested if you if you don't want nothing to do with it, uh, hats off to you, I can respect that. i I really appreciate Instagram more than I do Facebook and I think I think you get less negativity there just because it's people sharing cool pictures rather than people kind of getting into the weeds and getting opinionated on. On random stuff. I don't know. It, what do you think, Jamie?
3: Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, I started on Instagram. Or Instagram, right? Learning all this stuff, and then I activated my Facebook. I'm like, whoa, this is a whole different world. It's kind
0: of a kind of intense at times.
3: I've heard it described as a dumpster fire, and I think, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I said earlier, the opposite of Tree Buzz.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, so, yeah.
3: what's your role in Tree Buzz now? Do you do you still? operate it um what, do you, what are you doing with it
2: well i'm a moderator okay you know so i'm the janitor it, <laughs> Mark, because mark is busy with you know working for aspen and his yeah his many happy he wears at aspen
3: yeah he seems like a busy uh, guy. he's got a
2: family and kids all these speaking stuff so, so he's busy he isn't very active on the you know screen time with with Tree buzz, but he does he gets mm-hmm. on there yeah um, so i'm, I'm kind of i sometimes end up being I liken it to the, uh, the junior high principle.
4: <laughs> that
2: sometimes I got to be the mean guy
4: yeah. <laughs> um, and,
2: and just watch over stuff if I have to. Yeah. I, I, I don't like that, but sometimes I have to. Things get a little, you know, some people aren't nice
0: well whatever but, whatever you're doing is working because it's a it's been a positive community on on the internet if yeah. you can create a positive community, yeah you're, you're doing something right yeah you're doing good
3: well that speaks to the well, community, it, the arborist community too you know
0: that's true yeah that being said yeah, on yeah. Facebook it is the arborist community and <laughs> and, and they lit a dumpster fire <laughs>
2: Yeah. well and the the value too of having twenty years of discussion, oh yeah, yeah to refer to, you know, somebody just, there's a, a current thread about, um, uh, the, the, the face shields on cast helmets uh-huh. and talk, people are talking about, you know, scratches, of course, but cleaning them. Well, and I was like, you know, I want to learn about this. Like, what, what, what about that? Well, so Google pulls up a couple of threads and they're tree buzz threads. When you, you're asking, you know, it's like, wow.
3: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I know like I, I'm I'm not doing anything to jiggle and, and put you know, to give vote count to Google or anything like that. I wouldn't have a clue what to do how to do that. Yeah. It just Google has learned that there's some threads that uh, have the answer. So having twenty years of archived knowledge is very valuable to people, I think. That's so, so. There's there's nothing. I I would I would have very a very hard time finding anything to refer to off of any Facebook.
3: Yeah, that's so cool. Twenty years archived there. Like any question you have, you know, you may find it already being talked about, or someone's gonna hop on there and answer it for you.
0: Right. You know? Right. And, so and all that information going all the way back is still on there. Do you do you get rid of information at any point, or is it all archived there?
2: no we don't delete anything
0: yeah that's so cool so if you're if you're someone getting into this industry imagine the head start you have it to go to tree buzz and answer you know 20 years worth of information boom in your lap yeah you can have
2: Yeah, and, and people people will get on and they'll say you know when they finally go public and they, and somebody'll say you know oh, I joined 6 months ago and I, I spend I come home from work um, before dinner I always spend at least a half hour yeah. reading a thread and so people have gone through the archive and spent some time learning about stuff before they actually say hey you know I'm Tom I'm doing tree work at this little company in Minneapolis you know they've a lot of people have already been on and, and educated themselves through whatever you know is there on tree Buzz. so it's nice I'm glad that that, that Mark had that vision and and we brought it to, to life, and we've had uh, sponsors that found value and uh, and participants that uh, found value and shared so much amazing information.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm one of them. I've, I, I haven't actually put any input on there, but I've been on there uh, quite a few times just looking at pictures or reading threads or whatnot. And, uh, yeah, if, if you haven't checked out Tree Buzz, go check it out. There's There's great information there. Um, yeah i I kind of wanted to get your opinion also on mentorship you know we talked a little bit about Marv and you know that's obviously one of your mentors um but I think that's such a such a big thing in our industry these days uh, is being able to to mentor people and kind of spread that knowledge uh, what what do you have to say about mentorship is that is yeah what's your opinion on that
2: yeah that's I've had some great mentors that not that I went to them, but I found them after a time Mm -hmm. to, to, to to have the patience and, and guide me or somebody I can, I can tap into for, for information, you know, and, and a role model and, you know, to, to be able to, for the, you know, friends to share with me and, and also with, uh, being a mentor to other people that I've crossed paths with, and people will, you know, some people I don't see very often or I don't hear from, but you know, every once in a while they pop up and you know, with a question about something or just a chit chat. So, yeah, to have that family uh, connection, it's 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 a nice feeling.
0: Yeah, it. it some of my proudest uh, moments in the industry has been seeing somebody that I helped and. You know, uh, took the time to teach them a little bit, and then see them take that and just build upon it and do really well. That's always been something I'm I've been proud of when I've had the opportunity and been lucky enough to to kind of have that relationship.
3: Yeah, I'm for forever thankful and grateful for my mentors, and I love like every time I can pass something on, you know, and I take every opportunity I can to <laughs> share my knowledge. Uh, we're getting to about an hour, huh? Already, that kind of flew by. Yeah, yeah. We we
0: just hit an hour.
3: <laughs> um just to kind of be respectful for your, your time, maybe we'll get into more stuff, but I want to talk about tree climbing.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Are you yeah? Down with that? Yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, I've I've got no we've kind of hit the points that I I wanted to hit, but that doesn't mean we gotta be done.
3: Uh oh yeah. Well, we just got a th- like a uh, question like what was your evolution as a climber? Yeah.
2: The the, the harness that Marv had was uh Kind of a modified pole climber, on it. So Basically, it was it was real similar to a uh, a 4D butt strap saddle and um, a three strand hemp rope, pole spikes, and you know you just monkey fist the the rope up into the tree if you can,
4: uh-huh.
2: you know. And, and other times, you know, you can't get it through. didn't have we didn't have uh, throw bags and throw lines, but they were. At the beginning, I didn't know about them, but then I found out about them, and but didn't use them. Mm-hmm. But we'd be doing elm takedowns, and you get up to that, you know, you're 20, 30 feet up with a long lanyard or your climbing rope. But you get to that first limb, and you got to take the lanyard yeah. off instead of grabbing another rope and being smart about it and throwing <laughs> another rope over them. No, you take the lanyard off, and now you're just poking your pole spikes through the, through the bark. To, just holding on. You know, just holding on, Hanging yeah. up over this big elm limb, wondering, am I going to fall and kill myself? Yeah. You know, to, to, the, you know, crossing paths with, you know, throw line and, uh, you know, and, and using rock climbing techniques and, you know, a little, you know, along the line of what we're doing now. So, um, there's been an evolution, and, you know, getting into, you know, getting, getting out of using uh, natural fiber ropes, you know, manila and free strand and, you know, getting into ArborPlex and, and beyond. Much safer.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I heard a podcast recently with Reg Coates, and he talked about when you're just, like, spur climbing with uh, just a lanyard, like, like you were saying before. He said there was almost a stigma to getting and setting, like, a top rope to, like, do the work. He's like, I just kind of had to just cut as you gone up. Like, you were looked at funny if you tried to do otherwise. Did you experience that?
2: Well, I didn't because when after I started my company, I wasn't working with Marv very much. Okay. Um, and so I was just working by myself. And I had learned, you know, a top line hitch and you know, double growth technique and, and that. So I didn't have any kind of uh, peer stuff like working for another company uh-huh. with other climbers um, other than people that I would learn from. So I learned, you know, what was, how people were climbing at the time. So I didn't, I didn't have that. I did, you know, and, and I know we're going eventually get, you know, the, the segue into uh, SRT uh-huh. when that happened. Oh boy, let me tell you i got I got
0: the flap then oh, yeah, <laughs> I think the first time I met you, uh you had come to Eugene i you might have been teaching some climbers at the airport here, some people that took care of the trees, single rope, and so you yep. came by Sperry and we we did some single rope and at Sperry we you know we were pretty far ahead of the game at Sperry, so we were already climbing single rope, but it was cool to see somebody come in that you know, had a few extra tips to teach us. And then, you know, the realization, like, this is what this guy does is he goes around teaching people how to climb. And yeah, that, that kind of changed the way I looked at what you could do in the industry. One of the things from that class that I still talk about is how you always had pink gear, all your gear was pink. And that was uh, that way you could, uh, you knew what was yours. I'll do the same thing. If I have a choice now, I get, I buy the pink carabiner or the pink rope for that same reason yeah.
3: <laughs> that's yeah. funny i have a pink throw cube and andrew's told me that story i didn't realize that was that was you yeah that that was tom
2: Wait, you got my throw cube <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, i've had that cube for a long time no. now <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. found it at a pawn shop <laughs>
2: oh yeah yeah, yeah. Nope. Yeah, that stuff, when I, I started muddling around with with SRT and looking at it and going, and I I would say SRT is the future of tree climbing. Oh, yeah. And I would just, you know, after a while, I would just, you know, I, I, I got such, from, from certain factions, I got such backlash from that. Mm-hmm. Like I was being a heretic. <laughs> I was like, what? I, I, I couldn't, I didn't know what to do with the reaction. Like, you know, why, why this reaction? What if you, you know, why I'm not saying anything. It's not bad.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: What's your stake in it? Yeah. Um, I, I just, and, and to see that, you know, the evolution of SRT and now with, like we were talking before with the double, the true double rope, the two rope or twin rope system that, uh, they've established in the UK uh, it's taken it another step
3: yeah so, what was your how did you get introduced into single rope
2: I was uh at a buddy's house he was he was uh uh renting a room in a at a, another friend of ours' house and uh was a caver and okay. so I'm looking in, in his library and at his caving books here and I pulled off the first edition of On Rope. I pulled it off the shelf and started reading through it and I go, wow, there's a lot of really good information here. And so I went down to the bookstore and, and bought the first edition and devoured it and looked at it and go, oh, that's how they climb in caves, how they ascend and descend. And, and I could look at that and go, wow. Because we by then we are using throw lines. Okay, yeah, and yeah. and And I was like, oh, well, we can do that. that. That use that in trees. It just made perfect sense. It was just a natural segue to take out take that stuff for ascending and descending in trees. So I started doing that, and so that was sometime in the I think it's the early 90s, is when uh, I think the second edition of On Rope came out in 95, so it was just before that, because I bought the first edition and then. Bought the second edition so that's it that puts it someplace in the early 90s and uh to, to just use it as a scent uh it's like we and what is what has come now is single up, single up double down and that's what i would do and then i then i realized then we had a, a storm where i'm going up and doing pick pruning you know just going a couple of broken limbs so i'm i go i do single up knock out these couple of limbs and single down Okay. And then, you know, it was like the the, the steps along the way and trying to find hitchers that I could do a single rope with because that was the bugaboo to find something that would go up and down. Yeah. Uh, couldn't find that. And then I crossed paths the day that Morgan Thompson introduced the Unicenter at uh, Expo in Long Beach. I was there and met Morgan and I was like, this is it.
0: Yeah, I remember
2: Did that
4: come
3: before the rope wrench? Unisender?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. It uh I yeah. remember the first time I saw Unicender was at the rendezvous when you were uh you uh I think you taught a course there or a little class there on different climbing techniques. The yep. the rendezvous in Grants Pass. And yep. uh I saw that Unicender and I was like, What is that? What do you mean? Yeah. Up and down <laughs> mind <Yeah>. blown. <laughs> you I know. know. And then, and I ended up getting one, it took me a couple of years cause they were pretty expensive at the time and it was a bit of a financial commitment, but for yep. years, probably eight years after I got that, uh, that was, I used it. I still have it. I actually now have it with my captain's hook oh. cause I, I have oh. a rope runner pro and you know, they got the rope wrench yep. and so I don't really need that unisender anymore, but it's got a soft spot in my heart. It's one of those pieces of gear I've just had for so long, and it's perfect for the rope wrench to hold the slack on it, you know. Um, yep. Yeah, that, that was one of those moments uh, in my climbing career. But, you know, it's interesting. You were saying earlier that you, uh, you used to get flack on single rope, and now as somebody, I you know, I'll still climb double rope if it makes sense. People will almost make fun of the fact that I'm climbing <laughs> double rope. I know. And it's like, what, what happened here? The yeah. the tables have turned. And in my mind, it's just two different tools in a toolbox. I mean, you should be proficient at single and proficient at double. And that's, you know, the more, you know, the better. Um, but that's, that's kind of the funny yeah, how things go full circle that way. <laughs>
2: yeah, it is. It is, you know, and, and instead, yeah, instead of just being another tool, it's another solution. Um, yeah, but yeah, a good climber should be proficient at that.
4: Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, to, you know, how you, if you learn first on double rope or single rope, whatever, that's, that's chatter, you know, that's, that's, I would, I have an opinion on that. Other people have other opinions. I'm not going to get caught up in that. Yeah. But but you should, you should, a person, a climber should know both. Both. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and know when both are appropriate. And it's interesting because you were talking about doing the double ropes technique. I, I don't know what the, the proper way to say that is, but where you have two climb lines. And when I did that, I did one single rope and one double rope. Cause I figured there's advantages to having a single rope and there's, you know, if I'm doing a big limb walk, it'd be kind of nice to have a big double rope. So I would do one yep. of each and I'd be able to put, you know, kind of play to the strengths of each ro- of each system while I was climbing. And it was nice, you know. There's times where you want one, times where you want the other.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, the the I guess etymology of double rope or single rope or doubled rope. Do you know that story? No, no. It, was, it uh, when I started talking about uh, single rope on the ISA forum, and being a very ambitious, ambitious but lazy kind of guy i got tired of typing out doubled rope technique so i first started saying you know single rope technique and double rope technique well then i reading on rope double rope technique is twin ropes is actually two ropes so drt isn't quite right and so i'm typing away and i'm typing doubled rope technique and i got tired of writing doubled rope technique to be very clear that we're talking about one rope Uh And then I I had this idea, it's like, oh, type it as uppercase and then lowercase RT. Okay. Because I'm lazy. I've always,
3: I've never really known, I've known people refer to it as DDRT or you read that. I never really knew what that second D was for, but it's, it's the D at the end of double to like know that it's doubled rope technique. Okay. And that was you. (laughs)
0: that's cool yeah and and it makes so much sense it's funny how those things i think me and jamie have had that conversation why is it ddrt yeah and to think it was just the like that simple the whole time (laughs) we're trying to figure out what that other d stands for (laughs) 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 and
3: now it's mrs and srs is kind of what people are referring to um did you have anything to do with that
2: no, no, and and I, my tongue trips over that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> me too.
3: Mine still does. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah I. It, yeah, it, I mean, it makes total sense. It makes sense, but it's just in my head one way, and you know, a little bit of that old dog things going on. But I'll figure it out.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, and there's still there's still space for it. Although I've again I've had people that just get a little bit rabid about it you know i'll say single rope technique and then they just they just come unglued and i'm going whoa 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 <laughs> calm down yeah, calm yeah. Down. we're not Excuse talking me. about we're, not, That's we're not talking about doing flush cuts yeah you yeah know, or, you know it's like it's not heretical it's just you know what i'm talking about yeah so
0: it, it's a, a sign of the industry being in a good situation when you can argue over Moving rope technique versus double rope technique. <laughs> if, yeah. You know, you're not arguing over what a proper cut is or if you can top or not. You know?
2: <laughs> right. Well, and, and, and something that I realized very early on with, with single rope was the ergonomic advantages of it. Mm, and, yeah. and having an achy back when I was in my early 30s that got squared away from a summer at the chiropractor. That I became real sensitive to that, and and looking at how, how much how much better single rope is ergonomically, I could tell that my career and anybody that's the sooner you started single rope, the longer climbing career you're gonna have.
3: Yeah, yeah. it's amazing you if know, you I see saying, someone hip thrust or body thrust side by side to someone rope walking, it's like. You know, hit yourself in the forehead. Of course, that is better for your body kind of thing, you know.
2: You know, you're the, and, and shoulders are the, you know, people talk about having bats that hurt, but, you know, as I talk to guys that are my age who are now retiring, and we, we get together and we talk about that, and there's a, got the, the generation before us, they're kind of hunkered over, and they stand up, and they, you know, they creak their back, and they straighten out from getting up in a chair. My generation we're doing these shoulder shrugs, you know, uh, yeah. shoulders hurt, Yeah. you know, from ripping on chainsaws, drop starting chainsaws, foot locking, you know, and, and yarding yourself up the tree with doing, you know, foot locking, pulling yourself up the tree is like, don't, your shoulders are going to go to hell. Yeah. Don't do that.
3: I have a bad habit of wearing just a foot ascender. You know, I won't set up, you know, a second ascender for rope walking, which is kind of, you know, balances your muscles and stuff. So I got my left leg is way stronger. Than other <laughs> one, and I'm sure that's ah. going to uh, bite me in the butt later. Just <laughs> yeah. I'll but the stuff's at-
2: available, you know, and, and accepted, and, and, uh, yeah, it, it'll, it'll make people's careers longer mm-hmm. in, you know, in the decades' length as well as in a weekly length. Yeah. You know, and and talking with people over the years that converted to start doing SRT, and realizing that something that those of us that have been doing it for a while is like the benefits going to come Friday afternoon. Yeah. Back in the old double growth techniques, Friday afternoon you're going, you know what? I'm beat. I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to probably sleep in tomorrow morning too. Yeah. Because you're just achy. Well, you convert to SRT, you're not using those. You're not aching. You're feeling like you know what? I'm going to socialize on Friday because
0: I've got energy left over. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I kind of you know welcome innovation in this industry. I like to look at it all because it does that. It saves your energy. A lot of things do. You find out what works for you, but I mean, that's yeah, like right. the main driving factor is efficiency, making stuff easier on your body, prolonging our careers. So I well, yeah, go I, ahead. Yeah. I just, I think it's incredibly important to not shun innovation like all the way, like, you know, if you want a long
4: career. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I stopped over at the the saw shop that I always dealt with. I hadn't talked to Jeff for a while and uh, um, just to see what he's doing and his plans and stuff. And, you know, I had to talk to him about battery saws
4: yeah, and
2: uh, and how, you know, him as a vendor and selling three or four different lines of, of saws and, and uh, you know how, how they're working and how they're accepted he, and he says the same thing. It's like, don't, he's trying, you know, very few people are buying gas top handle saws.
3: Yeah, those you electric know, they, ones
0: it, are great. Oh, they're so they're nice. They're great. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and you're not, you're not pulling. You're not, you're not yeah. you know, you're, your shoulder's not pulling the saw. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
2: you just, so there's a little ergonomic gain. Yep, it's you know, small.
3: The, it's small, but over years, you know, it's huge.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. and, and it, the industry over the last, you know, 20 years, it's been all these little small changes that have made the industry easier and easier. And, you know, I, I can't remember if we were talking about it on the ret climbing episode or if I was just thinking about it afterwards, but it's all those little changes that make it easier and easier that have made ret climbing something that's doable. You know, it, you, it, it was much rarer to go rec climbing when you had to, you know, hip thrust, the whole way up and you, you yeah. know, you, you didn't have a pulley on your, you know, double rope system. You just pull it down and push the knot up, pull it down. You know, right. you're not doing that yep. for fun. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. Like, Hey right. Jamie, this weekend, you want to go over to that tree and hip thrust up to the top of it? <laughs> oh, you, yeah. 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 You know, and it's all those things that have uh, made it accessible for a lot more people, you know? Yep.
2: Yep. Yeah. It's, it's and I'm happy with that. It has to, you don't have to be a big bruiser to, to, you know, gorilla your way up the tree. It's, yeah. There's no need for that. And you shouldn't be doing that.
0: It's been really uh, great talking with you, Tom. Is there anything else that you want to add to this? Well, let's put it this way. At the end of the episodes, we kind of do uh we do a, a little final thoughts, you know, usually we're kind of exploring the subject. And so we do a final thoughts on the subject and, you know, I, unless there's something else you want to uh, you want to get into
3: maybe we'll just say
0: uh, what's
3: a what's a message that you would like to get out to people about the industry for the industry
2: well to I hope that there are people that are, are able to get in now and and spend a career a lifelong career doing the work because I've had a lifetime of doing work that I love. I've absolutely loved every bit of work I've done mm-hmm. with trees from planting to storm work, to teaching, to, you know, cable and embracing and, and everything else. So I've loved the work. I've had some jobs that were, some of them were stinkers. Most of them were really good, but I feel, I feel so blessed to have had a lifetime of work that I love and crossed paths with so many other people that, have loved
0: to work too it's a privilege it's a privilege nice, nice Jamie do you have any uh do you have any final thoughts from well, this episode?
3: Yeah, I'll say you know kind of going off yours the idea of longevity in this career is thanks to guys uh people like you, Tom. I just want to say you know thanks for all you've done for the industry. It's great great uh meeting you over the phone here and talking to you uh, yeah, thank you
2: yeah you're welcome you're welcome fun to see see the enthusiasm and see the uh wanting to share
0: -hmm. yeah well i mean that's what this is all about you know it came about when we were with covid you know we we couldn't go to competitions couldn't go to the isa seminars and stuff and we were trying to figure out how we could still kind of build a little community and network within the industry so we were like heck you know we work together so we kind of have our bubble and we could try doing a podcast within that and just see where it goes so you know yeah that, that's what it's all about um i i think my final thoughts uh after hearing hearing uh the stories you got and hearing about your career is uh just always try to learn something new always try to make yourself better uh today than you were yesterday i'm kind of going back to i can't remember who you said said it but you know if you're only a hack if you're doing something you know is wrong (laughs) and you're still doing it yeah you know we we can all become better uh so uh with that i would say stay safe and watch your top knot thanks tom